The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. As we attempt to shift away from fossil fuels to more renewable energy solutions, how can the EU ensure an adequate energy supply for all? Could a European supergrid be the answer? Well, to talk about this and his new book, a supergrid super solution, is Eddie O'Connor, a renewable energy expert and founder of his latest venture, which is Supernode. Eddie, good morning and welcome. How are you, Pat? Now, this is a, a, an idea that is elegant in its simplicity. In the north of Europe, you have loads of wind. In the south of Europe, you have loads of sun. So there should be plenty for everybody. If the sunny people give us energy when we've no wind and if when it's cloudy down there, we've loads of wind, we give them energy. That's it at its elegant best. Yeah, you got it in one there, Pat, as <laughs> usual. Uh, uh, so uh, it was it was a couple of things like that that led me to formulate the supergrid back in 2001 because, you know, I came from an ESB background and a Bournemouth background and I knew that when people uh, wanted electricity, they pressed a switch on the wall and they got it. Now, with wind, you can't do that. And this is a problem with wind and it's a problem with solar. They're both variable and intermittent. So if you put them together, if uh, I read an article from a, a University of Germany, Kassel, and they said, the wind is always blowing somewhere. So I said, well, if you put a grid, all those somewheres, then you're going to get firm power out of that. And, and there was no such thing as solar when I, when I formulated. But then the uh, International Energy Agency came along with a, with a graph which showed that the solar in the south and the wind in the north are a perfect match for one another. And it's uh, in the book, it, yeah. we, we show that. Yeah, so you got it. <laughs> now, um, the, the idea of a supergrid, it sounds, you know, again, it sounds simple, like just string the wires along, cables under the sea. Yeah. And when you're on land, if you can get planning permission, you can have the overhead cables, high voltage cables. It's not that simple. Well, it's not that simple because we need a policy framework to allow this to happen. I mean, uh, the, the investment in building the entire supergrid, which is, I'll give you a number, which is ridiculous. It's 410,000 kilom- gigawatt kilometres. So forget that. Yeah. It's, a, it's a lot of wires, right? Now, without a framework, nobody will put money into that without saying, well, if you build this system, are you going to be able to transmit electricity across it? And is somebody going to pay for that electricity? So we need to move from an all-nation electricity set of systems in Europe to a European-wide system. So that's the that's the issue now that's facing Europe. So in the way we have a, a, a common energy market, electricity market in this island, yes. you want to have that for all of Europe. Yeah, and, and the real reason for that is, Pat, because if you look at Poland going down the Czech Republic, Hungary, uh, all that area there, including Switzerland, southern Germany and eastern France, they've almost no renewables. I mean, they'll have some sun, of course, but then that goes down when when the sun goes down, you know, energy then. Uh, So we have to link up the whole of Europe because we have enough energy. And we in Ireland, we have 10 times our own area out there uh, that we actually own. And we can cover that in wind turbines if we want to. Uh, now, now so you've done really the calculation, the uh, if we were to produce the kind of power that is envisaged at the moment, is it 30 gigawatts or something like that? And it, every megawatt requires a certain amount of ocean space. Yeah. It would use up just a tiny amount of our ocean space to tiny. produce that 30 gigawatts. Oh, absolutely. The, the 30 gigawatts, I think, is 
kind of your opener for six or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's what Eamon Ryan wants to convince the government and he got them to agree to that, which was great, but very progressive. Uh, but then I saw him down when he was down at Limerick at Foynes, which can become a new like Silicon Valley. Foynes is, is kind of like that whole West of Ireland can be upgraded uh, financially, economically, uh, population wise, you know, social wise, everything. Uh, if we really address the West. And I've seen him with, the, there was a placard put up of 70,000 megawatts. But, you know, we can do a lot more than that. Imagine, Pat, if we were the Dutch or the Germans and we had this area. Yeah. Imagine that. They'd Those, be doing it. They'd well, be the, doing it right now. The Dutch now. made Holland out of the North Sea, you know, by filling it in. And the Germans, of course, are renowned for their organisation. Now, the, the technical challenges, uh, first of all, they have offshore wind already where you have uh, floating foundations which in turn are tethered to the seabed. Yeah. What about the Atlantic, though? I, I have this vision. I mentioned it before to somebody on air that one of these windmills breaks its tethers and heads for Galway. <laughs> so you've got a disaster movie in the making. Do you know what I mean? Uh, how mature is is that technology? Not mature enough yet. Uh, I I would say we're with, there's about thirty different designs being tested out there. Um, now we get sixteen meter swells. You know, like we get gigantic swells there. We get, you see, lighthouses with waves above them. Hmm. So it's tough. But listen, we've built oil derricks, oil platforms in much rougher seas than we have out there and much bigger. Uh, now, our, so so although the, the technology is only in, the, in being developed, by 2030, we will have the right technology for that North Atlantic. We, we will have it because everybody else is going for it. OK, so uh, that part of it, the actual windmills out there generating yeah. the power, uh, that power has got to be delivered by undersea cables. That's no other way. And, okay. and you don't anywhere in Europe, America or Japan, you will not get permission for overhead power lines. Um, the supergrid, though, you're talking about um, superconductivity as yes. part of that. And the superconductivity is where something has no resistance to That's the right. passage of electricity at all. Yeah. So your losses are minimal. It also is lower voltage than we have in Correct. the skies overhead us with the, yeah. the pylons. Um, where are we with developing superconductivity in cables? Well, when we had a, a good look at this, Pat, we realised there isn't enough copper in the world to actually build a supergrid out of copper, which is the way they transmit and distribute all electricity. So we said, we had a look at the superconductivity and we see it working in Essen, now over a short distance, a kilometre. I went out to Seoul to see it working out there. It's working in Chicago. But these distances are up to three kilometres. We're building a a thing that will, you won't have to repump and recool your nitrogen, your liquid nitrogen for 100 kilometres. So we set that company up. We recruited John Fitzgerald out of Airgrid who built the East-West Interconnector. Uh, we've got about nearly 60 people now working in, in our research lab out at the uh, Red Cow uh, where we, move, we were in UCD initially and then we had to move out there. And we're finding, I mean, the, the, the figures here are just dramatic. One tonne of superconducting material is the equivalent of 30,000 tonnes of copper. Wow. Right now, when you put, but but that's very very narrow. The hair on your head, Pat, yeah, uh, and you have glorious hair still compared with moi. But the, <laughs> the 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 hair on your head is much thicker than this conductor, so you have to buttress it with layers of other strong material, mm-hmm. and it's still one hundred and eighty to one. So you know the weight of of our cable compared with the weight of the standard cable is one one of. Uh, 
well, it's 180 to 1. They're, right. so, they're 180 so times The amount heavier. of electricity that can fly through uh, this superconducting uh, yeah. cable is enormous. That makes the supergrid possible. That makes it possible. Um, and we're at TRL. This it, when, TRL means technology readiness level. And uh, TRL 1 is an idea. You have a good idea. TRL 9, you have a competitive product. We're at TRL 4 at the moment. And by 2025, we'll be at TRL 6, at which stage we start demonstrating. And this now is a joint venture between ourselves and Acker, the crowd who, who bought uh, 75% of mainstream. The uh, question is, OK, occasionally, and let's take uh, a cold winter morning and it's absolutely sunny. There's no wind. It's very cold. And that's where we are. So we've no wind up here. Meantime, it's cloudy down in the south of uh, Europe where it's a bit warmer. So we have very little generation, which means in order to keep everything powered up, we've got to have storage. What is your vision for storage? Well, the supergrid actually reduces storage considerably because... But you no- still need some. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, but when you think of it, Pat, we're not talking about, you know, a point here in Ireland where the wind mightn't be blowing. We're talking about a very big grid from Finland all the way down to Croatia, all the way across to Spain and up to Norway. So it's uh, impossible that the wind will not be blowing somewhere there. And and even the sun, even in wintertime, the sun will be shining somewhere there. You won't be getting that much out of it, but you do need storage. I mean, you do get, with the latest PV, you get energy even on a cloudy day. That's absolutely correct. And that's getting better all the time. But but you, we still will not be able to rely on it because the, the peak of electricity demand occurs when the sun goes down because the sun goes down. But we have the solution here in our hands. And we're talking about an investment of a trillion in the supergrid. That's basically the cost that we've costed it out and we know we can get there. Now, people say that's an awful lot of money, but remember, we spend 330 billion every year on fossil fuels. Wow. In Europe, 330 billion. So we stop spending that. You also suggest in the book that the fossil fuel companies um, greenwash a lot of things, (laughs) that they are actually frustrating the way forward. Exxon knew about global warming, that they were causing global warming in 1954. And they spent the next 70 years trying to convince the world that this wasn't true. And they've had their own scientists internally tell them this. BP, Shell, they all know this. And they basically all put short-run profits because they're making gigantic profits in front of, if you like, the, the futures for your grandchildren or my grandchildren. But isn't the way to... You, you might try to catch them out. You may try to throw these people in jail. You're never going to succeed because they can pay all the lawyers in the world. Uh, but get them on side. Show them that the green way is the profitable way. And they'll jump. They follow the money, always. Well, unfortunately, uh, as, as we've outlined in the chapter on, on the market here, uh, we are very unprofitable at the moment because we don't have the right policy solutions in Europe. You're talking about uh, windmill manufacturers yes. going bust. I'm, I'm talking about, yes, um, Nor- um, Senvian went bust. We had a contract with them in Chile. We were going to build five wind farms. They went bust. Cost us an absolute arm and a leg. Uh, but the, collectively last year, the wind turbine development companies lost four billion the European uh, uh, oil and gas companies, they made something in the order of $120 billion. So where will the investment go? Um, you saw yesterday the ESB announced a joint venture with a Danish company 
Um, so that yes. will be even feeding power uh, from offshore wind into Money Point. Uh, which was a baby of yours when you were in the ESB yeah. uh, importing coal from Poland. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do we need to do next, Eddie, to make all of this happen? Well, first of all, I think we need the Irish government to say this is, uh, this is the, um, if you like, there's three priorities any government can have at any time. You can't deliver more than three. This needs to be one of those three for the next 15 years, right? I think we're there at the moment. I certainly, Leo Varadkar has said so. Michal Martin has said so. Eamon Ryan agrees that with that. Don't know about the uh, uh, Sinn Féin, but uh, I, I presume they'll come on board as well because all this resource there will just create massive amounts of employment. For every megawatt you build offshore, you get 16 person years created onshore. Right. So you, you want the Irish government on board and then you need the Irish government. We're going to launch this book in Brussels. And I've said to the Irish government, you guys should launch it. You know, you yeah. should say, we in Ireland want to supply you with green energy because we have the resources and we've, we've the determination and we've got the skill set to do it. Um, so, so, and then we need the rules in Europe changed. We need a Europe-wide regulator. We need a Europe-wide architect who's going to plot and plan the supergrid. Um, uh, we, we need to make funding available at a serious level, but I think the funding will follow policy. Yeah. You know, business follows policy. Well, it's a fantastic book, Eddie. Supergrid, it's called, subtitled Super Solution, The Key to Solving the Energy Crisis and Decarbonising uh, Europe. Eddie O'Connor, along with Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, the environment editor, I think, of the Irish Times, right, former yes. editor of the Irish yes, Times, yes. Um, uh, put this book together. It's absolutely terrific. Eddie, thank you very much for joining us in studio. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.